0: Howdy back. Well, we're glad you're all here with us this evening as we've uh, gathered together on a Wednesday night to worship God and to dig into His Word tonight, draw close to Him. So welcome. We're glad all of you are with us online. We're glad that you're with us as well. Let me pray for our evening, and then we'll begin to worship our God. God, we come into Your presence this evening, and as Your Word says, You invite us to come boldly to your throne of grace. So tonight, we do that. We run into your throne room, Father God, to say hello, to say we love you, to say thank you, to adore you, to magnify you, and to worship you, because you are good. And we are here to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to
1: say that you're my God. All together worthy, all together wonderful to me. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful
0: to me. So that's why we're here, God, is to worship you and to adore you.
1: rising, eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Open, stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long for you. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away. Amen. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. Cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away.
2: Hosanna,
1: Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all. Oh mm-hmm. We magnify
0: says bless the lord O my soul he's talking to himself and the bridge of this song that we're singing says the same thing come on my soul oh don't get shy on me lift up your song because you've got a lion inside of those lungs get up and praise the lord so let's encourage our souls to worship our god come
1: on my soul Oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside. and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul, oh, don't you get shy of me lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. you get shy of me, lift up your song, you you've got a lion inside of those lungs, get up and pray. So I throw up my hands hands
3: And praise praise you again again and again.
1: again Cause all that I have is a Hallelujah Hallelujah And I know it's not much But I'm nothing else before a king Except for a heart singing Alleluia,
0: Alleluia. God, how refreshing it is to be in Your presence to be encouraged by the words that we sing which remind us of who You are, how majestic Your name is, how glorious You are. We're reminded of all the things that You've done for us, how you saved us, provided for us, watch over us. Lord, Maybe we be reminded when we Get into the jams of life to remind our souls to worship You, to be lifted up and to be encouraged for You have truly blessed us. You have forgiven us of all of our sins. You have healed us of all of our diseases. You've rescued our lives from the pit of destruction. You crown our lives with loving kindness and tender mercies. You provide our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. It's worth blessing you and giving you honor. And when we can say nothing else, we just sing, Hallelujah, God, you are good. Holy Spirit, teach us your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
3: So if you would, open up your Bibles to John chapter 17. As Jesus starts moving closer and closer to the cross. We pick up John's account that gives us some insight to what we would probably call the true Lord's Prayer. Why do you pray? Some people might say, well, it's the religious thing to do. Others would say, it's a way that I can connect with God. But when we pray, what are you really hoping to accomplish? Have you ever had times in your life when you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and nothing ever changed, nothing ever happened? Or you have got to this place where you got so frustrated because, because it felt like your prayers were only going about two feet up and then hitting the floor. We pray because we want to access the presence of God. We want God, who is much greater than ourselves, To hear our cries, hear our supplications, to be able to receive our praise. Prayer is that open communication. It's the breath that that believers breathe. We we breathe out prayer. Prayer is being able to say, there is one that is greater than me, and I cry out to him. Prayer is one of those interesting things. When you talk with people... Even unbelievers will pray or they'll say things like, will you pray for me? Years and years ago, when 9-11 took place, there there were calls for national prayer. And prayer was, was being offered in the streets, in the schools, everywhere. Why? Because we had crisis. Crisis usually prompts prayer. Why? Because we've come to the end of ourselves and we want to reach out to God. We want to reach out to God for hope. And within that, people will offer prayer and they'll say, Well, you know, will you pray for me? And my encouragement to you is this if someone comes up to you and they say, Will you pray for me? Stop what you're doing right there and pray. Don't say, Well, I'll pray for you later. Stop right now. Now You're saying, well, Carrie, if I'm in Safeway or in Walmart and I run into somebody and they tell me what's going on, they say, will you pray for me? You mean pray right there in Safeway or Walmart? The answer is what? Yes. 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 Absolutely yes. Because the need is great and, and they look at you as a conduit to God and a support for themselves within this. And so we should pray. Robert Murray McShane said this. He was a 19th century Scottish minister. And it's a powerful quote. I've shared it before. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He's praying for me. Jesus is praying for you. We are given a window here in John 17 of a communication between Jesus and his Father within this. And you got to ask the question, Okay, so is Jesus God? And he is. Then why would he pray to the Father? Is he praying to himself? No, he's praying to his Father the first person of the Trinity, he's the second person, he's incarnate, and he's facing the cross. We last left Jesus a few weeks ago in the upper room, having the Last Supper, washing the disciples' feet, sending Judas off to go betray him, and then with singing songs, they left the upper room, they walked down across the Kidron Valley, up the other side, and they're getting closer to Gethsemane. John doesn't give us all the details, but he does give us something that the other synoptics don't give us. And that's this prayer. This prayer between him and his father. You remember early on in the Sermon on the Mount when the disciples came to Jesus and they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And the Lord's Prayer was created. What we know is the Lord's Prayer. How does it go? Our Father who art in heaven, right? That whole prayer. Many people use that as a prayer, and you can, but it really was an answer to a request. Teach us how to pray. So the Lord's Prayer gives us a pattern in prayer to follow. But within this, Jesus' prayer is a bit different, and he prays out of this relationship, and he prays truly the Lord's Prayer. And within this prayer, he's wrestling. He's wrestling in His humanity to fulfill the will of the Father. To go to the cross. And it wasn't the death on the cross that was the issue. It would be the first time in His eternal existence where the Father and the Son would have a separation as the Father judges the sins of the world on the Son. And... He would never, ever experience that before. It was just something that he dreaded. And so he had to endure this. He had come for a specific purpose, as we're going to read in a moment. But these these were Jesus' last words to the disciples and the last words to his Father. And we get this. It's a candid conversation that John gives us, and he records it for us. Now, we know that Jesus prayed before. He had a habit of praying. He prayed for Lazarus. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed early in the morning by himself. And in this account, he's praying for himself, for the disciples, and for you and I in the future. Which is crazy when you think about it. The fact that Jesus, and, and as I studied this today, and I was thinking about this. As he's praying, he sees me over 2,000 years later. He sees me, and he's praying for me there, and he's praying for you. As we'll see this in the in the prayer itself, and to think about that, if he was praying for you over two thousand years ago, and he was, he's praying for you right now, and he is. He's the advocate. He's he's there on our behalf. In fact, in Hebrews seven twenty five, it says, "Therefore, he is able to save." forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. praying. Jesus is praying for you and He's interceding for you in all of these things, which is an amazing thing. When we get into the depth and the passion of this prayer, Jesus is at the right hand of His Father. He's making intercession for you and He's watching you and He's saying, Carrie, yeah, you're going through it right now and I am praying for you. That you don't stumble, that you don't fall, that you don't slip. That's huge. Because when we get into that place, we feel pretty alone, don't we? We struggle. And sometimes we might say, God, do you really know what's going on in my life? Do you really know? God, do you really care? And the answer is absolutely yes. Why? Because Jesus says, I am praying for you right now. I am advocating for you. There are seven different petitions in this prayer. In verse 1, Jesus prays, Father, glorify your Son. In verse 5, Jesus prays, Glorify me with the glory which we had before creation. In verse 11, Keep them, being the disciples, in your name and us and our unity. Verse 17, Father, sanctify them in truth. Verse 21, Father, may they be unified with us and believe in, you sent me. Verse 24, Father, may they be with me and see my glory. And verse 25, Father, may the world know that you sent me. Seven different petitions that are all embedded into this prayer as Jesus prays. And keep in mind, Jesus is praying, the disciples are watching, and Judas is leading an army out of the Antonio Fortress down across the Kidron Valley to come and betray him. What a scene. you imagine? And keeping focus. In fact, Sunday we're going to be covering Acts and how to maintain your witness in times of adversity. Jesus shows us how to do this. So let's jump right in. Let's take a look at John 17 verses 1 through 5 to start with. It says, And Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, That the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had, with you before the world was. So the first thing that we see here, as Jesus is speaking, he's lifting his eyes up to heaven. He's lifting his eyes up. So many times we, we teach our kids. What do we teach our kids? Fold your hands, close your eyes. Why do you teach them that? Well, I don't know, because that's how we always taught them to do that. Let me pop the bubble for you. Do you know why you were taught to do that? in Sunday school because children are little brats and they poke each other and they mess with each other during times of prayer so if they're folding their hands and they're closing their eyes they can't see what's going on so there you go that's the trick body position in prayer though is really appropriate Jesus lifted his eyes up to heaven why because in the beginning of the Lord's prayer, it says, Our Father who what? <laughs> Looking up. Are there different body positions for prayer? Absolutely there is. You can pray standing up. You can pray seated. You can pray flat out on the ground. You can. Body position adds to the intensity of your prayer. And your body can reflect that prayer. You can pray kneeling. It is an act of worship in that prayer. And you can pray very subtle. You can pray while you walk. One of the things that I do is I do prayer walks. Folding my hands and closing my eyes while I pray and walk is not a good thing. And you can pray while you drive. If you see an emergency vehicle and there's a crash and you're driving by, please do not close your eyes and fold your hands. Not good. Right place, right time, right position. So he he prays and he looks up and he says the hour has come. Now, when we look at uh, biblical text in this, we talk about times and seasons. The hour is the imminent. The hour right now in this hour has come within this. And what was he saying? It's now time for the crucifixion and man's redemption. The whole purpose for him coming. And he says the hour has come. Glorify your Son as the Son glorifies your Father. Well, what does that mean? The word glorify, doxa, is this idea of to clothe with splendor. That's what glorify means. To clothe with splendor. So when, you, when Jesus says glorify your Son as the Son glorifies you, It's giving honor to and it's seeing the splendor of. Well, what is the splendor of in this hour? Jesus' obedience to the cross. He's glorifying the Father because He is obedient unto death. It makes God smile. It gives Him glory. It's saying, yes, Dad, you asked me to do this and I am doing it for you. For your honor, for your glory. When I'm done, now glorify me. What is the glory? The same glory that he had before the incarnation. To be in this place. To, to be in that place. Jesus and the Father are full partners in the redemption of mankind. Understand that. It was the Father's plan. And it's the Son fulfilling the Father's plan. In order for us to, to be redeemed within this. And Jesus was glorifying the Father through this obedience. This obedience. Within this. Now, what about the Son being glorified? Over in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it says this For this reason, as Paul would write, God highly exalted him, Jesus, bestowed on him, Jesus, the name which is above every name. Note, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's the glory. The Son glorifies the Father through obedience. The Father glorifies the Son by giving the Son dominion over all of the earth. That in the end days, everybody will bow their knee and say, Yes, Jesus, you are Lord. In the end. Imagine who, what those people would be like that really blew it. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe Jesus is God and all of that. And in the end, when they are there before his throne and, and just how they're going to feel. And the son will be glorified. And so we see this, this obedience. How do you glorify God? How do you glorify God? The same way Jesus glorified God. Obey. God tells you to do something, you do it. For your own pleasure? No. For His glory. God puts it on your heart to do something, you do it. Why? To be obedient. Why? For His glory. Don't you love it when your kids obey? Once a year, they try to. But when they do, when the kids will do something that you never asked them to do and, and, and you're blown away, and it just makes you smile because it shows honor. And within this, Jesus not only had divine authority over the earth, but God gave Him this divine authority over eternal life to give to mankind. Eternal life is in the Son to give to us within this. And to keep us. The mission of Jesus was to give eternal life. Okay? So what's eternal life? If someone was to ask you on the street and they say, Hey, what's eternal explain eternal life to me. What is eternal life? And you say, Well, you're going to live forever. While that is partly true, that is not the biblical definition of eternal life. Eternal life is knowing the Father. Eternal life is that personal knowledge and relationship with the eternal Father that will never end. It's eternal. When does eternal life begin? When you die? No. The minute you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's when your eternal life begins. And, and in the process of, of Being in that eternal existence, knowing the Father, there's going to be another process when you're going to get rid of stuff that can't go into eternity, hence your body. But the knowing of God begins now in that eternal life. But the tent that you live in, you trade up. What ends up happening is, and Jesus says, this is knowing the Father within this. That that this is eternal life. Verse 3, he defines it. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. This is eternal life. To be able to be in that place. Those that are spiritually dead are incapable of knowing God. That's why they don't have eternal life, because they're spiritually dead. But when you're born again and God gives you the Holy Spirit within that, you are born again to eternal life or to the ability to be able to see God. And, and Hosea talks about the fact that we've got a problem with people because they perish for lack of knowledge. In fact, Hosea 4.6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Why are people destroyed? Because they don't know God. They don't have eternal life. Because they don't know God. And so your friends, your family members, your neighbors, all of these people are being destroyed. And it's interesting because the way that verb is destroyed is really, it's a present active participle. It means it's happening now and it's ongoing. They're being destroyed. How many lives in our community are being destroyed right now? Why are they being destroyed? Because they don't know God. They don't have eternal life. But they don't know God. And it's one and the same. And that's why it's our, 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 our job. It was Jesus' job to bring the knowledge of God to man. Jesus is God's ambassador. He came to bring God to us. Why? Because we in ourselves can never get to God. You remember a group of knuckleheads that decided to build a tower a long time ago? Did it work out good for them? No. We'll build a tower all the way up to God and then nothing will be impossible for us. You can't build anything to get to God and you can't work your way to God. Why? Because you're dead. You can't. And it's all about knowing God. Within this. And it's not until man comes into that intimate knowledge with God. So Jesus describes eternal life as knowing God. But notice how he describes in two ways. The one and only God and the true God. In light of this, were there a lot of false gods in the world during that time? Sure. Are there a lot of false gods in the world today? Absolutely. Where Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father what? By me. To the one and true God. So within this, we look at this. And so Jesus would say, He's the only way. Now, verses four and five, Jesus changes his prayer a little bit, and he starts looking towards the reunification with his Father. In verse 4, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Now, here's a little bit of a problem. Jesus hadn't died yet or rose again. He was about to. But he says, I've accomplished that. Now, is he speaking early? No. He's fully committed. Fully committed to this... He's looking ahead at the cross as if it was something that was already done. It was a completed act. There is no turning back within this. I have completed what you have done and what will be happening. I've completed this mission. What was his mission? His mission was redemption of mankind. And he was looking forward to returning to the glory. He says, now, Father, glorify me together. Note. With yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. With that, Jesus is declaring his eternality, co equal at creation. You're saying, Carrie, that Jesus was at creation? Yes, he was. He was the creator. He was with God prior to the world's being formed. So we look at this and we get some insight. Jesus looks at the cross as being a completed action, which means. He looks at himself already dead, already buried, already raised, and already ascended. That's the path that I will be on. I'm looking forward to it. To returning to that relationship. A lot of people will say, yeah, I know the path. I know the destination. I know where I'm going to go. The getting there is the part I don't like. I know people today that are have terminal illnesses. I know I'm going to die. I know somebody that I was talking with somebody uh, this last weekend, and the doc said you got a year to live, and, and huge medical complications, and bedridden and hospice. Doc said I won't make it a year, but I know where I'm going to go. And I go, yeah. I said, but. How do you feel about the path to get there? Well, that's not so much fun. And that's the bumpy road. That's the hard part about it. So how could Jesus endure the cross, despise the shame? Because he can see himself seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Scripture tells us that. And so we look at this and so he, he knows I'm going to return back into this, this relationship with the Father. Why? Because He's eternal. John 1, 1-2 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we look at this this statement that He was with God in the beginning. Paul, again in Philippians 2, 6-11, speaks of this, this account as the redemptive plan. Forecast. He says, Who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God... A thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And those who are in heaven, on earth, under earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Paul says this was always the plan. So we look at, what did Jesus do? He left heaven to earth. Why? Why? Because the Father asked him to. To do what? To sacrifice himself for the sins of all mankind. And he did. And he added to himself humanity. So he would experience everything that we've gone through, yet remain sinless and die. That was the plan. Was it a good plan? It was a great plan. Why? Because we're saved. And we're redeemed. But the question is this. Did he have to? Did Jesus have to? Yes. Because the Father asked him to. And because of the love relationship between the Son and the Father and the obedience of the Son, He was compelled to, yet by free will, but compelled by love. Which is amazing. Because there's not a whole lot of people that I'd be willing to die for. Yet we know that Paul would say, while I was yet a sinner, Jesus died for me. He pleads to the Father now, having prayed for himself, he prays for his disciples. If you look at verses 6 to 19, it says this. I have manifest your name to them, to the men whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. And now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. They received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. And I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me for their yours also. And all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. And I have been glorified to them. I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father... Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. We'll pause there for a minute, because in this text, what we see Jesus doing is he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for them because he has a desire for them to continue the work. He prayed for them so that they would believe. The father gave them to the son so that they would believe and. Jesus' job was to reveal the Father to them. Notice in verse 6. I have manifest your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Now what does that mean? That means the Father had already chosen Peter, James, John, Andrew, all of those disciples. Not just the twelve. But he also chose Judas for his role. And then he chose all the other disciples and the followers that were with them. Why? In order for Jesus to reveal the Father to them and the words of the Father. That makes the Father the orchestrator of the plan of the redemption. And Jesus is executing the plan within this. And it was his mission to reveal them. In your name to reveal the very nature of them. And the nature of God. Remember Philip in John fourteen nine and 10. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding me does his works. Well, then I got to thinking, if the pattern that Jesus set, was to go to the ones who had been given to him and give the words that have been given to him, and it was. And that's the pattern of ministry that he passed on to the disciples. Then what is our pattern of ministry? To receive those whom the Lord brings to us, and do what? Give them the words that the Lord gives to us. Do you really realize that God has divine appointments in your life? Nothing's by chance. God is sovereign. And the people you engage with are people that the Lord brings to you. For what purpose? So that you can give them the words of God. To be able to to understand that that's your role. Jesus set down this pattern of ministry. And it's a pattern of ministry of revelation. To reveal God to others. Why? Because God doesn't want any to perish. All to come to repentance. And, and so within this, we're to give them these words. The disciples were called note, out of the world to believe. And they were to follow Jesus in pattern as missionaries. And they came to know the words of the Father. And then they were to repeat that, give the words of the Father. Everything that, that Jesus received from the Father then was given to the disciples. And everything that the disciples they received, they received from Jesus to give to other people. My encouragement to you, don't give people your opinion. Don't give people your opinion or your personal interpretation. Just give them the word of God. And and what you say should be backed up by the word of God. Why? Because it's God's word that gives life within this. And so what is Jesus doing in this passage? You know what he's really doing? He's releasing and commissioning his disciples. You gave them to me. I trained them. I'm done with them. Take them now. Let him go. Let him go. And in in a sense, he was very confident that they were fully equipped for that work. Are you fully equipped for the work? Do you have everything that you need to be able to share the gospel? Shake your head yes, please. Because you do. You got the word of God. You got the Holy Spirit. You've been commissioned for that work because you're called a child of God. Now do it as the commission that Jesus would say in Matthew 18, right? Go into all the world, or not Matthew 18, Matthew 20, 18 and 19. Go into all the world. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to go. But he does something interesting in verses 9 through 12. He, pre, he prays for their safety. He says, I ask on their behalf, and I don't ask on behalf of the world, but on those whom you given me, that... That you would keep them safe in this world. Keep them, verse 11. Keep them. Jesus is, key, is praying actually two things. He's praying for their safety and their sanctification. Which I think is interesting. Why would Jesus pray for their safety? Because he knows they're going to get trashed. He's praying for their safety because he knows they're going to have a hard time. He had been preparing them, and he says, you will have hard times. In this world, you will have tribulation, but what? Be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world within this. He's praying for their safety, because the world is going to come against them, oppress them, and there's going to be suffering, and there's hardship. He's praying for their sanctification. Why? Because it's really hard to be a Christ follower in this world. Do you understand what the word sanctification is? It's like one of those... $50 words. Sanctification. So, there are three processes in a faith journey. There's justification, and that's a one-time action that happens when you're saved. You're made just if I had not sinned. Justification. You were justified by Christ. Then you are being sanctified, which means you are being set apart for God's holy purpose, and that will be the process of your whole life. Until you come to the end of that life, and then you are glorified, or is there glorification? Which means you shed everything that is dead and old, and you go to be with God in heaven. Jesus says, glorify me with your glory. Why? Because he's going to leave and he's going to go to heaven. So what state are we all in? Sanctification. God is setting us apart for his holy purpose within that. But it's hard in this world because we got a lot of contaminants. And it's hard to be sanctified or set apart, isn't it? world creeps into our thoughts. What do we want to do? we got to wrestle with them. Somebody cuts us off on, on Highway 30. And then you want to pray blessings over them, don't you? I know you do. Yeah, Lord, bless them right into the ditch. Bless them with a ticket. I know what you're doing. Why? Because we're in this flesh. And there's a tension between the flesh and the spirit. And it wants to what it wants. And so Jesus, get this, He is praying for your sanctification. The wrestling matches that are going on in your mind, that's going on right now, Jesus is praying for that. That you will have victory. You're not in it alone. The corruption in this world wants to corrupt you. Don't let it. And Jesus is praying. And notice how he says, I'm not praying for the world, I'm praying for those that are yours. Why? Because the church, ecclesia, by definition, is those who are called out of the world. Jesus says, you're in the world, but you're called out of the world, and I'm praying for you that the world doesn't creep in. And I can tell you, church, it is hard because the world is creeping in, isn't it? In our schools, in our homes, in our churches, in our social media, our family. It's hard. And it's But understand, Jesus is advocating for you to stay holy, that you'll be safeguarded and you'll be kept. And notice, you will be kept by God, which means God's got you. He won't let you fall. He's there, but you're still going to be in that tension, that wrestling match. And and within this, you're protected. First John 5.18 says, We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one doesn't touch him. Now, you cannot be overcome by evil. You can definitely be oppressed, though. And it is hard when it presses in, when these thoughts press in within this. And so Jesus is praying for those to to keep them. And he says, I kept them and I guarded them, verse 12. And none of them perished except for the son of perdition, Judas. Was that because Jesus slipped? Oh, I didn't see that. No. It was determined before time. You say, well, that's not fair for Judas. It's not about fair. It's called divine prerogative. And so there. And, and so, when you study that, it really is this, this condition. God would create some vessels for honor and some vessels for dishonor within this. Did Judas have a chance? Sure he did. Last Supper. Jesus announced the one that dips his morsel in, in the sop the same time I do. He's going to betray me. Judas did it. He announced it. After Jesus washed his feet. Look at this. And, and, and so he had the opportunity, but he gave way to it. Why? Because he was corrupt. And God knew that. So God keeps us. God protects us. And he is speaking this, this truth to the Father with one goal in mind. That disciples will have joy. Notice in verse 13. But now I come to you. These things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy. "...made full in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world hated them, because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself." And they, they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. And the word, again, that word sanctified used multiple times. What does it mean? It means set apart. As Christ followers, we have to set ourselves apart. We have to. There was a time when you would go into a place, a building or whatever, and you'd go in and you go, you're a Christian, aren't you? And you could tell. Not so much anymore. Not so much. Because we've looked to meld in within this. Jesus spoke these things so that his joy would be transferred to the disciples. What is the joy? The joy is of obedience. The joy is is not from the world, but it's a spiritual joy because you're born of God within this. The other thing that I wish would be different, but it isn't, is verses 15 and 16. When he prays, he says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Now, in my sanctified imagination, if I was planning out this plan of redemption, it would look something like this. I would come to the faith and knowledge of Jesus, forgiving me of my sins. Lord, come into my heart. Please forgive me of all of my sins. I accept the fact that I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. And that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Will you fill me with your spirit that I might be born again? And that spiritual transformation takes place. And then immediately I am raptured and taken up into heaven and I am no longer on this planet. Wouldn't that be cool? That's my way to go. I want that. Not Jesus. He says, nah, you're staying. Dang it. You're staying in the world. you got to stay in there. And yet I'm going to pray for you to be protected from the evil one. I would love to be taken out. But what is Jesus really saying? You don't, as a Christian, get to withdraw from the world. Why? Because the world needs to know God. They need to know the truth. Christians belong in the world as a sanctifying presence. Not to be like them, but just to be that that sanctifying presence. We need to show what real love is because the world doesn't know what real love is. We need to show what forgiveness is because the world doesn't know what forgiveness is. We need to show what truth is. Why? Why? Where are you going to find truth in the world? Let me know, because you're not going to find it. And so within this, we are not to withdraw from the world, but remain in the world, but to remain sanctified in the world. And I can tell you this, salvation is not an evacuation plan. You know, it's, it's an evangelistic plan. You're saved to share the gospel. That's your job. To share the gospel. Now, while we look at this, we also understand that there are certain things that we do for ourselves and, and within this. I had a conversation with somebody um, earlier this week and we were talking about the difference between public school, Christian school, and such things. And and I've my kids are grown now, um, but I've been in ministry 35 years now and uh, early on I... I helped start a homeschool program and was the principal of a homeschool program. But my kids always went to public school, always went to public school. Wendy and I determined that based on their personality and what needed to be done, we would send them to public school and we would teach them slowly how to be a Christ follower in this public setting. But I was challenged this week. I said, well, that was then. This is now would you do the same thing? And I honestly have to say, no, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Because of the level of corruption that has taken place within that. But what I would do is I would make sure that they are in some type of extracurricular activity, soccer, sports, those kinds of things, and I would be there coaching. Why? Because at that point, as the coach and as working with the kids, we have the opportunity to be able to witness to them in an environment that is not controlled by a demonic delusion. It's changed. But you can't be a Christian and enter into a cocoon. God has not called you to do that. When we do outreaches, we do outreaches for the sole purpose of inviting unbelievers into the presence where we can share the truth with them. Christianity is not meant to be a social club. It's an evangelistic plan of God. And so Jesus praised this prayer. I am not taking I don't want them out of the world I want to the world, sanctify them in the truth. Note verse 17 of the truth. And the truth is your word, which means this. If you're going to be a sanctifying force, you better be in the word of God. Because it's only the word of God that's going to keep you flying straight. And if you deviate and stop being in the word of God yourself, then you will be susceptible to all kinds of lies and deceits that are going on. And they're out there. We even talked with uh, this morning at the men's Bible study about a guy who was a, a pastor that was preaching heresy. And there are people that are there that were eating it up because they don't know the word of God to tell that pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. If if I say something wrong, please check me. Ask me, say, where'd you get that? Why do we teach verse by verse expository through the Bible? Because it is the word of truth. And you have every right and should check it out for yourselves to make sure it's so. Because it's the truth of God that's going to keep you. It's what sanctifies us, being washed in the word of God, having that place, so that we don't deviate within this. This this being sanctified by the word is this place where we have our minds transformed by the word. First Peter one thirteen to sixteen says this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which are yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who has called you, be holy yourselves. Also, all of your behavior, because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. How do we get there? Spending time in the Word of God to be able to know the truth, to be able to wash in the Word, and that's what sanctifies us is the Word. Jesus makes the Word of God priority for us in His prayer. We should make the Word of God priority in our life, within that. And then He commissions in verses 18 and 19, As you send me out to the world, I send them out. I am sending them out. I am commissioning them. I am releasing them out into the world, within this. Matthew ten sixteen to 20, he would tell the disciples this. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves to be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, notice it doesn't say if. When, but when they hand you over. Do not worry about what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you're to say. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. That passage is packed. He said, I'm sending you out into a place where there's wolves. Thank you very much, Jesus. Couldn't you send me out into a flock of sheep? They're nice. Wolves, they want to eat me. You will be brought before kings and all of these people, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to give you what you need to say. Say, okay. Supernaturally, is he going to give me the words? Probably not. What is he going to do? Well, if you did the previous verse by studying the Word of God, then the Holy Spirit brings back to your remembrance the Word of God that has already been put into your heart, so that you could give them an answer, so that you give the right answer. Have you ever had a time when someone that was in trouble, something was going on, and, and they wanted counsel, and you gave them counsel from the Word of God, and you're like, where did that come from? That was the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit revealing that to you. Within that. But you've got to get it in in order to be able to get it out. To be able to spend time with them. And to be able to do that, and so within this, we we stay focused to the word, uh, the word, stay focused on the word of God, so that the Holy Spirit can bring it back to our remembrance. Jesus closes this prayer in verses twenty to twenty-six. He says, "I don't ask on behalf of these alone, note, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father." You, Father, are in me, and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you were sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected or made complete, (telos) in the unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as I as you have loved me, father, I desire that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me for you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous father, although the world has not known you yet, I have known you and these have known that you set me and I have made your name known to them and they will make it known so that the love with which you loved me. May be in them and I in them. There are two elements that Jesus ends this prayer with. One is the the prayer for the future believers. If you cop that, he says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Who is Jesus praying for? Us. Us. He's not just praying for the, the 11 that are right there, 12 of you include Paul. And then if you go further on, you take a look at the, the church of Jerusalem and so on. He's praying for all those that would come to faith because of the testimony, the progressive testimony that would continue on throughout the ages, and we are beneficiaries of that. Do you realize that he is praying for your kids and your grandkids? Your great-grandkids? Your great-great-grandkids? You See, well, I'm not old enough to have great-greats yet. A couple of you might be. Jesus is praying for generation upon generation upon generation. But what is the, the, the connection? It's the Word of God that passes from generation on to generation on to generation onto generation. And he's praying, praying for them. What is he praying? He's praying that they would know the love of God. I met with a young man yesterday. We were studying the attributes of God. And, and literally, the text reads, the God is love. So I asked him, I said, well, what do you think love is? Young guy, he's in his 20s. Married as a little kid, he goes, well, love is an emotion. Said, well, some people describe it that way, but no, let's take a look at what it really means. Love by definition means to always seek the better for the other. God is love, which means God, by definition, will always seek the better for the other. All the time? Yes, all the time. All the time. Do you realize that you can know that God is always seeking the best for you? Because He loves you. Even when things are going sideways? Yes. Why? Because all things work together for good. For those who love God are called according to His purpose. It's transformative. The other thing that he prays for, for this bunch, us and the disciples, is unity. It's a unity of faith to be one. What happens when the body of Christ is divided? Self-centeredness happens. Selfishness happens. Is God divided? Is God divided? No, one God indivisible. So if God's not divided, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then why should his body be divided? It shouldn't within this. Satan's goal is to create division and disunity within this. The only way he wins is if the body of Christ becomes self-centered, narcissistic, and divided. Why? Because then love can't be demonstrated. Obedience can't be demonstrated. And in order to be unified with God and unified with Christ, we need to be unified with with one another because we're all part of the same body. And so he prays for the future believers to be one with him as, and notice, in the same manner as he is with the Father. Unity's hard though. Why is unity so hard? Because I have to die to self. I have to die to self. Jesus died on the cross, which was the hardest thing he could do to be one with the Father, because the Father asked him to sacrifice for us. It's Jesus' desire, I would say it's even God's desire, that we would all know the love of God in the unity of faith, which is imperative. Jesus is praying for unity. Which is a third element. He's praying for your safety. He's praying for your sanctification. And he's praying for unity. Why? Because he knows that Satan is out to create disunity. How many church denominations do you think we have? Hundreds. Maybe thousands. You know why there's a church denomination? Overemphasis of specific doctrines that are non-essential, and people get frustrated with it, and so then they would say, "Well, you, you don't baptize the way that I baptize. So, I baptize three times forward. You baptize three times backwards. I baptize with a cup of water. You put them under. You got to do it my way." Why? When we get into some of the non essentials, we start developing this concept of disunity. In the essentials, there must be unity. In the non essentials, there must be grace. We should be in that place where we understand that we all have different paths and different different methods there are some people that love hymns lord bless you there are some people that love rock lord bless you but we all should love the lord the same way that's the essential to know that we have one father your kids if you have a large enough family are different are they not and they all have different preferences. Do you love them the same? Sure. Are they still part of your family? Absolutely. But you get into that place where you need to understand that God gives us that opportunity to be one and we should strive to be one. Notice how he answered verse 20, 26. I have made your name known to them. And will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. What is the unifying force and factor? Love. And what is the definition of love? Doing the best for the other. And that is the pattern. God is love that we should follow. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we can be in this place. We can honor you. Lord, I know that uh, for us, it's tough being in this world. we got things coming at us from work and, and our, our, our kids' schools and our neighborhoods and politics and all of these different things. Lord, I pray right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would sanctify our hearts. Wash us in your word. Help us to focus on the other and to love the other. In the same way that you've loved us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are praying for me. And every person in this room and everyone watching on on TV. You're praying for them. You're praying for them in their journey, in their struggles, in all aspects. We are not alone. Because you are there with us. We thank you. As we close out tonight. May we worship you and honor you with our whole heart and whole being. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me the sun sets free, always free indeed. I'm a child of God,
2: yes I am.
1: Free at last he has ransomed me, his grace runs. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, He died for me. I I am am. who you You say I am am. who the Son
0: Us. Have a blessed rest of your week.
3: Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 10:45 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6:30 p.m.